like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a show here on WEHC-FM, WISE, where we get to chat with some Emory and Henry people and find out about the cool things that they're doing. And today, I'm very excited. We have a two-country, two-continent conversation today. We're talking with Jimmy Wilmoth, Emory and Henry class of 2016. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing fine. And listen to that beautiful accent, which sounds so much better than my accent. Tell everybody <laughs> where you are right now. Uh, I'm currently in London, in like a little neighborhood of London called Clapham. Is that where you grew up? Is that your home? No, not at all. So I'm from, I was born in um, New Jersey, in Newton, New Jersey, north near uh, New York City. But at eight months old, my parents moved down to Virginia. So I'm originally from Lynchburg, my whole life in Lynchburg. So Emory was quite close. Uh, yeah. Tell me what high school you went to. Uh, Holy Cross. Sure. It was like a small Catholic school. How sweet. Well, how did you end up at Emory and Henry? Uh, for soccer, actually. My friend uh, got recruited to play Kenny Stern the year before. So we were from the same high school. Right. And um, once he got recruited, we started talking to the coach back and forth. And then the coach ended up recruiting myself and Eisman Knight, who was also in my high school. So all three of us played at Emory throughout. So it was a lot of fun. Very sweet. Okay. So I'm, I am going to I am going to enjoy this even more then because you have done exactly what my friend Renee Rogers has done. Renee grew up in Bristol, moved to England, and she still, she's been gone for 15 years. She still sounds like she lives in England. So did, when did you start noticing that you were picking up a little of the British accent? Well, it's a weird accent because I spent five years in France. So you you use different words to speak English, if that makes sense. I it do. sounds silly, but like you have to use certain words that will be picked up by French English. Mm-hmm. So I've I have a weird vocabulary now. Very, you, very strange. Like it makes no sense. So you can't really tell where I'm from. <laughs> do you speak French fluently, I guess? Um, I, I wouldn't say fluently, but I'm quite good. I, I can understand about 90, 95 percent. And I speak at like a, a fifth grader level. So very bad grammar, but I can I can get my point across. So, well, you nice. know, bad grammar really doesn't matter that much if you're really, you know, trying to get somewhere. So as long as you get there and people are really nice with it, once you start making an effort to speak French, uh, French people really pick up on that and they don't care what you say. As long as you're <laughs> speaking French, they're happy. <laughs> That's good to know. We're taking an alumni trip to French, uh, to French, to France later this year. And so um, so it's good to know that the fact that I could really only ask where the bathroom is, is going to be acceptable as at least an effort. It's very important to know that. <laughs> That's too funny. Y'all, where are y'all going in France? We're doing the the marching band is going to Normandy and so into Paris. And so we're going to take a little alumni trip. And if anybody's listening, we have a couple spots left, but we're taking a little alumni trip to sort of mirror what they're doing and have a chance to see them perform. They're going to perform at the, the cemetery at Normandy and some Christmas yeah. markets and different things. And so, yeah, we're, we're excited. That's going to be awesome. I think so too. We're, we're looking forward to it. So, all right. So you started out in Lynchburg, you've been to France, you've been to England. Let's talk about how in the heck you even got to where you are and talk about the cool work that you're doing. Cause it sounds like you're doing some really neat research but first of all how did you land yourself in in France since that's is that where you went after Emory and Henry no I so I actually did a master's in um, England in a a smaller city called Leicester right after Emory so I graduated in 2016 and then in September I went to Leicester 
did the master for a year. And that's where I met my now wife. And so we were dating for a bit and then um, things were going well. So she invited me to France for um, a month or two to stay, see how it was and so on. And that's where I actually started looking for jobs, which in my case was uh, finding a PhD opportunity. So just reaching out to labs, I got really lucky, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of luck, right place, right time, and found an advisor that was, um, he actually did his, uh, part of his studies in England. So he was completely fluent in English, and he was curious why an American was in uh, Clermont-Ferrand, France. So, And you said love? That. Yep. Yeah, it started for that. <laughs> but it, it worked out beautifully, honestly. I, I have nothing to complain about whatsoever. So you were a biology major at Emory & Henry, right? What was your initial plan for the biology major? Uh, initially, it was to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. um, that was like the little kid idea because I liked biology when I was quite young. I liked TV shows like Dr. House, Grey's Anatomy. It, it looked cool. <laughs> Sounds very silly, but it, it looked like a fun, interesting uh no, choice. it's funny. Uh, we were just laughing. Uh, my student intern loves Grey's Anatomy. And I'm like, how is it still on the air? It's like six generations of people have watched the show. It's insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. It's quite cheesy, but you, you got to appreciate it. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, who doesn't like a little bit dreamy now and then? So you were thinking about about going into medical school and being a doctor. So when did that change for you? Well, I didn't have the grades needed or the volunteering experience yet. So I decided to do a master to kind of boost the resume get some better grades, gave me time to do more shadowing, more volunteer hours. And then actually after my master, I still had that idea in my head. So after going to France for two months, I actually flew back to the U.S. for three months where I studied and took the MCAT, which is like the medical school um, admissions test. Right. So I took it just in case because I knew I'd be doing a PhD, but the scores are um, valid for a few years. So I was like, oh, I could add something better to the resume. And after the PhD, I see if I want to go back and do it. If not, um, see what happens. Um, but then once I got into the PhD and I saw what heavy research was, it was just too much fun. It's uh, it's like figuring out a puzzle every single day. It's very tedious. It's it's very disappointing. Like 80%, 90% of what you do is going to fail, but it's the challenge, if that makes sense. No, to I was going to say, it, it can't possibly be rewarding every day. And so it's interesting to me that you love it so much. Yeah, but it, it's just, I was surrounded by really cool people. We had a really fun team, very multidisciplinary team. So we had uh, pharmacists, we had doctors, we had researchers all working together on the same questions. So you get insight into what are the clinical applications, what are the basic research applications, all these different ideas. And just working with people like that every day, it makes it very fun. I also think it would, would be more productive as far as figuring things out simply from the standpoint that I think it's really easy to get super narrowly focused that, you Completely. know, yeah. yeah. And so by, by by talking to people from a lot of different disciplines, you're going to sort of understand it better. Exactly. No, that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. And I think most people would agree. It's it's having as many uh, brains as possible to kind of figure it out and different backgrounds, too, because then you ask different questions. So you bring up different ideas and it just works really well. I love that. So where are you now? And so you finished your Ph.D.? Yeah. So I finished that up in December last year. And then moved very quickly um, just because I had a contract uh, that was already signed. So they were like, uh, the visa sorted. You need to come and start working. 
Um, so then I moved to um, London with my wife Estelle in mid-January. So we did the holidays with all our family and then it was just pack, 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 get everything out. <laughs> and uh, we actually drove to London, which was an experience. <laughs> oh gosh, I bet. That, did you see some parts of both countries you hadn't seen? Uh, yeah, we, we got to see a bit of Northern, um, France, but we had our cat with us, so we didn't really stop much. We, we just tried to like, uh, go straight ahead and, uh, get it done as quickly as possible. That's pretty funny. Traveling with the cat always seems like a good story. Oh yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, what's the cat's name? Uh, people will want to know. Uh, Byron. Like Lord? <laughs> uh, no, I, we, somebody <laughs> asked us that immediately after and we're like, no, it's actually, um, a, a burger restaurant in, uh, England that we both love. So that's better. Restaurant. But uh, the Lord Byron sounds more fancy. So it does, but I like the hamburger thing too. That's pretty funny. Let's talk about your research a little bit because it sounds like you're doing some very cool stuff. Um, are you working on the same thing now that you've been working on all along? No, it's actually changed quite a bit. So I, I had to change fields. So my PhD was working on adrenal cancer. And okay. adrenals are the little organs above your kidneys that produce stress hormones, things like that. And so I was focused on that type of cancer for my whole PhD. And then I've actually changed to more stem cell and colon cancer for the postdoc. So the next uh, job after the PhD. So it's been a, a long um, learning curve to kind of jump into a new field, learn all this stuff. There's a lot of things that are quite similar in terms of like uh, different signaling pathways and things like that. But so many things are different. So it's really uh, taken a bit of time to get used to the new topic. Well, I was going to say, for those of us who, who aren't um, as well-versed in how that works, I mean, in, in some ways, it would seem like, well, you're studying cancer. So how completely different are some of these different cancers? And so what? And clearly, they're all different because we know that they affect people very differently. Are there certain like areas that, that sort of dis especially distinguish one cancer from another or one type of cancer research from another? Yeah. So when we like when you're when the physicians are diagnosing cancer, normally it's from wherever the uh, original cell is from. So it depends what part of the body it's from. And then depending on that little environment around that cell type, it's going to be different. That's why we have cancers that you may have the same alterations, but because they're in different tissues, it's completely different how they how they form, how aggressive they are and so on. So it can be quite different in the same way though you could argue that some of the signaling pathways um, that you have altered in cancer are quite consistent across different cancers so there are pathways um, that are commonly altered in different um, different types but the way they're altered can be a bit different so it's it's not very much the same not very much different it's some weird mix in between if that makes sense <laughs> no it does it does and I'm thinking I'm thinking that you're right it has to be a big sort of a a learning curve to to figure to remember that you know this is a whole different sort of beast that you're working with um were there things from your previous research that you have found to be especially helpful in this new area no uh, a lot of the techniques i learned um were actually very similar so i'll be using similar techniques learning a few new ones as well and there are a few things like signaling pathways that i actually specialized in during my phd which i'm still working on in the new tissue. So it makes it a bit easier because I already know this, uh, this pathway, it, it makes life a bit uh, nicer in the long run. Yeah, you're still very young because you just finished in 2016. But in these years that you've been working on your master's and your PhD, and now this postdoc, 
have you seen some of the um, processes change? Some of the actual, like the ways that you tackle any questions about cancer cells? Has any of that changed even in the few years you've been working? Oh, completely. We have techniques that come out. Um, it seems like every two, three years, the, there's some new drug, new technique that completely changes the field, if that makes sense. Like there, no, there's I get it. Yeah. Um, working now where you actually have to learn how to like code and do like computer stuff just to analyze your data. So it's for the younger people doing their PhD now, doing their master now, they learn that. But for all of us, we never learned that. So now we're having to take courses to, to learn these new techniques and stuff, but it completely revolutionizes how you can interpret um, the data. So it's really exciting. There's always stuff changing and uh, you have to stay on your toes for sure. That's funny. Yeah, because again, you know, in my mind, you're still so very young that it's interesting to me that just in these few short years, you're already going, I got to learn something new in order to keep up with what's going on. How does how does that work? I mean, you, I, I'm assuming that it's like every profession, you've got continuing education, that sort of thing that you do. But are there are there sort of requirements along the way that you have to say, I got to do this, that and the other thing to stay up, to stay up? Uh, there are sometimes the the institute, university, whatever you're a part of, will offer classes, which will be like kind of like a short module. So a week or two to kind of give you a crash course on the beginning basics of that. So I took one of those for about a week and that's how I learned how to code a bit. And then the rest was actually from YouTube uh, videos, <laughs> which it's incredible. You can you can learn anything from YouTube nowadays. So it, it actually that really is hilarious. Yeah, it's it's nuts, but I love it because it's a free platform. You can access it. I mean, nowadays you can access lectures for free, so you can almost get uh, more specialized in whatever you're looking at um, for free instead of paying the big tuition fees, stuff like that. It's pretty crazy. That is really nuts. Makes makes me happy, but it is kind of nuts. I want to remind everybody we're speaking today with Jimmy Wilmoth, Emory and Henry class of 2016, Dr. Jimmy Wilmoth, who is a cancer researcher in London. Tell us a little bit about the actual facility where you are now um, in London. How long have you been there? Uh, since January 18th. So yeah, seven, eight months uh, coming up uh, on eight months. So it's been very, very new. Yeah. And do you, do, are you enjoying the new environment? Yeah. It's uh, it's always hard to move to a new city. I've done that a few times now and it takes quite a bit to get settled, to meet your friends and so on. But after a few months, you are settled and the, the facility itself is absolutely incredible. The amount of, uh, I think it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest um, biomedical research institute in Europe. So you have wow. over a hundred labs all in the same building. You have all these different um, platforms that you're able to use and you have experts operating the platform. So when you wanna learn a new technique, you literally just book it on the system and you have somebody who's been training 10 years on this technique, teaching you the ins and outs. It's incredible. So you can fast track a lot of things. And Gosh, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's really cool when you can like put everybody together and have this open space and open environment with all right. these presentations. You can talk to anybody you need to throughout the Institute. So whenever you need help on a new topic, you just ask them and one of the students or one of the uh, scientists will help you. So it, it's really nice, honestly. Did you ever imagine you would be in some place like that? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm still surprised uh, now, honestly. <laughs> well, I, I have another sort of dumb question about cancer research. So, you know, we have alums who do that. And, you know, when I say, well, so-and-so does cancer research. Here's the part that I hadn't really thought to ask before. 
And hearing you talk about it and talking about how the different medications will affect the cancer cells differently, the research that you're doing, is it about finding a cure? Is it about testing medications against it? Is it about learning more about the effects of different kinds of cancers? I mean, exactly exactly what is kind of the focus of what you do, what you do? Yeah. So what I do is more the basic science thing. So what we're doing is we're trying to make small, um, small steps of understanding how this process of cancer works. And we're using uh, uh, different models to do that. But this is not translational research that goes directly to the clinic. And nobody's making, I mean, I mean, some people have these major discoveries every once in a while, but most often you're just going to be making these small steps. And by having tens of thousands of researchers all over the world doing these small steps together, you can make bigger leaps over, over decades of research, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's not this translation thing of identifying this, this idea of a cure. It's more, what can we do to, to shrink the tumor? What can we do at this, this much smaller stage? The, the big picture is very hard to um, digest sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, and a little overwhelming. It's one of those where you'd kind of, you, if that's all you were looking at, you'd kind of just walk away with your hands thrown up, I imagine. Oh, completely. Because it changes so much. It evolves so quickly that even when you do find something that stops it for a bit, it could just bounce back in a few months. So it's it's always this balance. So it's uh, these small ideas, these little papers coming step by step by step. Then you have somebody who takes all that information and then makes it into this translational idea that can be tested in preclinical models or in the clinic. And it's quite exciting. Can you give us an example? You said every day was like solving a puzzle. Can you give us an example like tomorrow morning when you go, well, tomorrow, Saturday, you may not be going in. Monday morning <laughs> when you go in, um, when, what might be the challenge that's in front of you? What might be the puzzle that's in front of you? Uh, I'll be starting a, a bigger experiment. So what we're doing is we're looking at models of um uh, intestinal regeneration. So what happens when these cells regenerate after an injury? And so the problem will be, can we collect all the samples in time? Can we do this appropriately? You know what I mean? On the daily basis, you just want to get yeah. everything there labeled appropriately and then start analyzing it and so on. So that would be like an everyday challenge is just trying to organize yourself, find different ways to answer the question you have. Because there's so many different techniques, there's so many different models to use. So you have to find the most efficient way to answer that. And you never want to answer it with one experiment. You kind of want to answer it from three different directions to really ensure that it is what you're observing, if that makes sense. No, it does. That's very cool. Here's another stupid question that I've never thought to ask. So the the, the cells that you're working on, do you have a relationship with a hospital? Do you get those from there? Or is there like a business that supplies you with regenerated cells that you work on? How does that work? Yeah, so you can actually order um, cells online. Like you need a, you need to be a part of a, a an institution or a university to be. Wait, are you telling me I can't do this? I I hope not because that would be quite weird. <laughs> we could just order all these reagents because we have some very dangerous chemicals. You don't want to just order out of the blue. You know what I mean? Good call. Normally, there's some sense of like a security um, check. You know what I mean? To yeah. make sure you're not doing something nefarious, of course. Yes. I'm actually um, really relieved that you're that you're saying that. That's a relief. Oh, of course. You, you need ethics at every step of the every step of the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but no, so you can order um, stuff online if you want. Uh, we also work with mouse models, so we can isolate the cells from there. You can also um, one of the um, 
PhD students we have in the lab now, who's also a surgeon. So she's actually taking a break and doing a PhD. And she, uh, because she is a surgeon, she can actually get samples from the hospital because she has those connections. And then you can take uh, these cells that are um, taken from patients after surgery, um, taking out the cancer, uh, and then you can culture them in the lab and then keep them. And then you can share them with other labs. So we have certain labs that have these uh, massive repositories of um, patient samples. And by sharing those around, you can have a lot of people do research on a small amount of samples, which can really help things move forward. So you can really do it either uh, many different ways. Right. Well, and hearing you say that, is that the, do you think that's the reason why it feels like things are happening at a much more rapid pace these days? Is it because of an easier ability to share what you're learning with other people? Oh, completely. I mean, if you, if you look back from the seventies and eighties to now, look at how easy air travel is. I mean, now it's quite expensive after uh, everything going on more recently, but it's still quite cheap. We have the internet now, so we can communicate by just sending an email. You can do Teams or a Zoom like we're doing now right. and have an incredible discussion. And that's how a lot of the collaborations are built. You can meet people at conferences easier. And it just overall, um, we have this push more recently to having more open science. So people are more open to discussing their ideas. That way we can have a few teams work on this one idea, get it done in half the amount of time, and then move on to the next key question. So it's a lot of different factors that have allowed this to, to move quicker. As opposed to, I want to discover this and I keep it to myself and and not share it. You I still mean, have quite a lot of that, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think harsh. we are... Yeah, it's it's quite unfortunate. You you encounter it every once in a while, but I've had the feeling of all the the different people I've met in the last few years that people are a lot more open minded, uh, more recently. So, people are the field's slowly shifting to a more positive direction. So I hope we stay in this direction and uh, keep things moving. I'm gonna I'm gonna rest that on your generation and say I hope you all are doing it smarter. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you wanted to leave some advice with, um, let's say some students are listening to this who maybe are biology majors at Emory and Henry and they're thinking, oh, I don't know what I want to do with all this. What 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 do you say about joining the, the realm of research? I think it's just try. Try to find internships, uh, summer internships. Um, they have um, research positions that you can do with a bachelor's degree to kind of test if you want to do a master's. Uh, and go uh, further in detail and just test the waters and see if you like it or not, because it can be really fun and very um, stimulating, if that makes sense. But it needs to be for the right people, because if you're expecting things to work all the time, you're going to be driven absolutely insane. So <laughs> but just test the waters, try email, um, cold call people, email people that do research that you're interested in and say, look, this is uh, what I'm interested in. I love the work you've done. Uh, is there a position where I could be an intern or work for you for a few months to kind of test the waters and see see if I like it? Was there a moment for you where you asked a question and thought, I really, really, really want to know more about that and then realized maybe you were kind of hooked on research? I wouldn't say question. It was more the people that trained me. They were so passionate about the questions I had and the questions other people had that it's like, look, how, how, do we ask, how do we answer this question? So then you can really bounce back and forth, uh, look at all these different ideas and then test it out and physically see, does this work or does it not? So it's more the, the passion you see in other people that kind of inspired me. Because I'm just very curious about everything. So I, I just like to ask a lot of silly questions all the time. 
Um, but then when you actually put a research background onto it, you can make a living out of it. So it's nice. <laughs> Curious people are my favorite people. Those are the best people to hang around with. Those are the best people to know because you're never bored. You're always curious about something new. Exactly. Is there something from Emory and Henry or somebody from Emory and Henry who seems to influence you even in your career today? Uh, there's um, quite a few friends that you stay in touch with, of course, and the, the fun times of being on the soccer team, being in the fraternity, you know what I mean? But educationally speaking, it was I was really impressed with the biology department because you come in at 18, you kind of don't know what's going on. You're living outside of your parents' house for the first time. You're, you're supposed to show up to class on time, all these crazy things. And they're so, they were quite patient with us, especially that first year. And uh, into the second year, third year, they start to do the heavier subjects that are more interesting. And when you do show interest, uh, all the professors I encountered grabbed you up and they were like, okay, let's do more, let's do more. And they were, they were very passionate about teaching. And I think the curriculum um, for biology at Emory was so fun, but also intense that it really prepared us for going on to do a master or a PhD eventually, you know what I mean? I do. And I'm guessing the fact that you were that kid who was curious made you fun to teach because I hear I hear that from faculty members. They'll go, oh, I've got a great bunch because they're really engaged and they want to know more. And so so good on you for showing interest enough to keep your professors excited and happy. Definitely. Well, Jimmy Wilmoth, we are out of time, but I thank you so much for being with us today on the Duck Pond Wall. Of course. Thank you for taking the time. Are you going to be able to visit anytime soon? I realize it's not like you're calling from Lynchburg. Um, um, possibly. Um, yes, I'll have to come back for a homecoming at some point. You know what I mean? I, I went back a few years ago, so I'll have to come back, um, plan, see when other people are going and so on. Good. Dr. Jimmy Wilmoth, Emory and Henry class of 2016, who is doing cancer research in London. Do you want to tell us the name of your your lab in London? I don't think I ever asked you that. Oh, yeah. So it's, um, it's called the Stem Cell and Tumor Biology Laboratory, which is run by Dr. Vivian Lee. Um, who's been running this lab for about 10 years now. So she's quite a young principal scientist, but she's got an incredible lab and it's just been a, an incredible time so far. So I'm really excited to hang around for a few years and see what we can uh, see what we can do. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jimmy Wilmoth, calling in from London. Thank you so much for doing that. And thanks to everyone for listening today on the Duck Pond Wall here on WEHC-FM Emory, WISE-FM Wise. Please stay tuned to the next stuff coming up. It's great because we're the voice of Southwest Virginia. Mm-hmm.